Good morning, Calvary. Let's all stand together this morning. So this last Friday in our young adult study, we were going through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, and in that, Paul talks a lot about, he gives a presentation of the gospel to the Corinthian church. And then he get, uh, talks about the resurrection and what the uh, resurrection is, what happens in the resurrection. He talks, also talks about the necessity of the uh, belief in the resurrection for the Christian faith. And then he continues on and talks about our glorified bodies after the resurrection. And in verses uh, 40 and 41, he says, There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So in this, we see that no matter uh, where we are in our flesh, in our depravity, in our wickedness, we can bring something to God that gives him glory. And uh, one thing that we can give to him is our worship. It's our praise. We can come together corporately and give him vocal worship. And that is something that um, is similar to even in our celestial bodies. Um, in the, all the angelic beings and the saints of the past they give him praise, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. All the earth is full of his glory. And that is true today. That is true forever. All of creation gives him praise. The rocks and the trees and the skies and the winds all cry out to him. And so it's so amazing that we can join in with all creation and give him glory and give him praise all of our days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us the ability to bring you glory, to bring you praise, Lord. We thank you that you pleasure in that, that you delight in that, even in all our impurities and all our wickedness. You pleasure in our worship. Lord, this morning we set our eyes on you, or we direct our eyes towards you, and we give you worship for all that you've done. We give you worship for the cross that offered us salvation and eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen. the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. We 
sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung up on that cross, then he rose up from that grave. My God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in his place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your the beggars now we're royalty we were the prisoners now we're running free we are forgiven accepted redeemed by his grace let the house of the lord sing praise we were the beggars now we're royalty we were the prisoners We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. as we receive this morning's tithes and offerings. Thank you. 
got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense, so I won't be going under. I'm not held by my own strength, cause I built my life on Jesus. He's never let me down. He's faithful
Trust him in all circumstances. You guys can be seated once again. We're going to take a moment, and Pastor Tom's going to lead us in some announcements. Good morning, church. Awesome time of worship. Is anybody new here for the first time? Why don't you raise your hand so we can welcome you and say hello? Hi, Noah. Glad to have you. If you have your bulletin, just take them out. Go over a few things coming up this week at Calvary. As you know, our left side of our bulletin is our <coughs> excuse me, weekly fellowship opportunities, <clears throat> center section of our bulletin. We have our men's prayer breakfast coming up this Saturday. I don't know if Joe got the slide on it up or not. There's a saying that C.S. Lewis said, if you look upon ham and eggs with lust, you've committed breakfast in your heart. <laughs> so, uh, men, we have our men's prayer breakfast on Saturday. Uh, not healthy food. Oh, that's better, a little bit. They had an old picture had some really healthy food. We don't need to. This it's like sausage and gravy and toast and anyway, guys, come out for that 8:30 here at the church. Uh, ministry needs. We have some needs here, especially for our Wednesday night nursery helpers. The first and third Wednesday uh, evening of the month. That would be great if you can help out with us. Just see Ginger Presley with that, or my wife Lisa. Uh, she'll get you plugged in with that. And then our women's retreats coming up. Uh, Saturday, September 22nd and 23rd, we've had uh, guest teacher Kathy Dickinson out. She's an excellent teacher, written many books, uh, very encouraging. So I invite you ladies, sign up for that. There is a sign-up sheet in the back. The cost is $50, but that also includes breakfast and lunch on Saturday. And so uh, it would be a great time. A couple of things that aren't in the bulletin, we have a, what's called the True History Academy class. At least it makes us kind of put together here at our church, and, and it's, it's held at Godfather's Pizza, and it's on, uh, uh, what is it, Lisa, Saturday? Tonight, Sunday, okay, Sunday night. I, I didn't write down the, the night, but it's from 6 to 8.30, and she wanted me to remind you guys that they're showing uh, Kurt Cameron's movie Monumental, and, uh, and so they'll be doing that at Godfather's Pizza if you want to show up for that. Then another announcement, uh, Cassie and, and Daniel Shelton, they had a, a, a little baby, Micah, uh, born at, at 23 weeks, I think, 24 weeks, doing great, healthy, but we want to have a baby shower for her. And so kind of a last minute, but uh, next Saturday 
after the men's prayer breakfast, sometime around 2 o'clock, 2 to 4, not that the men's prayer breakfast lasts till 2, but, but the, the ladies can get here at 2 o'clock for the baby shower. It'd be real a blessing for them as well. Uh, rest of the announcements you can read for yourself. Right side of the bulletin is our statement of faith. If you have any prayer requests, fill it in on the back. Or if you're a visitor, we have a visitor card in the seat. Please take the time to fill it out and turn it in, in the back. We'd love to get in contact with you. So with those announcements, why don't we all stand and we'll say hello to one another.
<laughs> All right. If we can find the seats. All right. I am blessed this morning, folks. We have got a uh, baby dedication today. And so where did they go? Well, Dan and Laura, there they are over there. Dan and Laura, little Hadley, and Eleanor Grace. Hi, sweetheart. Come to Papa. Hi, darling. <laughs> Oh, say hi to everybody. Say hi, everybody. What do you think, huh? You see Uncle Jojo in the back there, don't you? Hi, darling. Oh, I'm done for the day. Well, for those of you that don't know, this is my daughter, Laura, and this is her husband, Dan, and, and the little curly Q, Hadley down over here, the big sister, and this is... Uh, <laughs> this is Eleanor Grace Coriel. Uh, she was born January 10th at 9 pounds, 2 ounces, 21 inches long. Seven months later, she's 10 pounds heavier, 7 inches taller. 19 pounds, 28 inches tall. Huh. And I want to thank those of you that have been uh, praying for her. We thought maybe she might have had some uh, neurological issues, perhaps some seizures, but all the tests have came back negative and so <laughs> praise the lord she seems to be just fine to god be the glory you know when i think of children and, and how they they came to jesus he took them in his arms and and he blessed them and that really is what a, a baby dedication is all about we're asking a special blessing from god upon her and really upon her parents dan and laura as they raise her in the ways of the lord we're dedicating her life to the lord you know, way back in the book of Deuteronomy, oh, I'm sorry, this is right in your face. I'll talk this way. <laughs> now you know how the front, people in the front row feel. Uh, way back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, the Lord says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So Dan and Laura, they're really dedicating themselves to raising little Ellie in a godly home in godly ways according to God's word. And I love that her name, Eleanor, means God is my light, or God is my candle. So we're going to pray, and we're going to dedicate her to the Lord. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for little Ellie Grace. We pray that as she grows, as her name means God is my light, that she would be that reflection of you and all that she says and all that she does, that she would grow into her middle name, a, a woman of grace and beauty, not just outwardly, but inwardly, Lord. Father, we thank you for the gift of children. We thank you for little Ellie Grace here and what a blessing she is and, and the healing you brought. Now we pray, Lord, that even at an early age she would come to know you 
as Lord and as Savior, that you would use her mightily like you have used her parents, Dan and Laura, that she would magnify your name on all she does. Yeah? Okay. And Father, we pray that you give Dan and Laura wisdom in training her in your ways. As she grows, she'd learn what a loving father looks like by seeing it displayed in the life of her earthly father, Dan, and Lord, that she would know and love and learn compassion and love that displayed through her, the life of Laura, her mom. So, Lord, we dedicate her to you now. We thank you for her. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> Got my mouth just then, didn't you? Okay, you want to say bye-bye? Say bye-bye. All right. Thank you, Jen. Love you, sweetheart. <laughs> All right, if you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. We're continuing a special series on, oh, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. The guys are up walking around with them anyway, but just if you need one, raise your hand. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We've been doing a special series. We've taken a break through the Gospel of Luke. And we've, we've titled it, What Happens Next? And it's kind of a, an overview of the, the, the events of the last days. And uh, this morning's message I've entitled, After the Rapture. So let's go ahead and read chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians. And then we'll, we'll talk about it. Starting in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ and are gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, because we know when we understand that your word has everything that we need for life and for godliness to live in this life, in this world. Lord, we so await your, your coming for us as a church. We long for the day. Lord, we also want to know what to expect and, and, and what you have for us in the future. And so we thank you that your word lays that out for us. We pray your blessing upon our time together. We also pray, Lord, if there's anyone here or anyone watching online or anyone that may be watching this service in the future that doesn't know you, that through your word that's being preached, Lord, that they would come to know you and put their faith and trust in you. Thank you for this time we can spend together. We give it all to you, dedicate it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. found a story about a field crew that was on location deep in the desert 
And one day an old Native American Indian went up to the director and said, Tomorrow, rain. Well, the next day it rained. A week later, the Indian went up to the director and said, Tomorrow, storm. The next day, there was a hailstorm. This Indian is incredible, said the director. He told his secretary to hire the Indian to predict the weather for the remaining of the shoot. However, after several successful predictions, the old Indian didn't show up for two weeks. Finally, the director sent for him. He says, I have a, to shoot a big scene tomorrow, said the director, and I'm depending on you. What will the weather be like? The Indian shrugged his shoulders and says, don't know. He says, my radio is broken. You know, in the same way, we do know what's going to happen in our world because we have God's word on it. When the Bible predicts the future, it does so with 100% accuracy. And it's in that accuracy that gives evidence to us that it's God's word and that God's word can be trusted. And what if you went to your doctor and the doctor told you, you're never going to have any heart problems whatsoever. And as you walk out of his office, you have a heart attack. What would it be like if you went to your dentist and he promised, hey, you can eat as much chocolate and sugar, they're good for your teeth, as your teeth drop out one by one? I think you'd have a legitimate reason to, to doubt what they said about the future. You might want to wonder who you, you can, can believe. The Bible is not like that. The Word of God has proven over and over again that it can be trusted. It's never been wrong in its diagnosis of man's ills. It has never made false promises. It has never given man reason to think it's a collection of fables and lies. That is because it is the Word of God. And that brings us now to our third study in a series I've called What Happens Next, and that is what happens right after the rapture. Now, if you're a note-taker, there's four things that we're going to look at. Number one, the great departure. Number two, the great imposter. Number three, the great restrainer. And number four, the great conqueror. First, the great departure. Now, we know from God's Word there's going to be really two great departures. First and foremost, there's going to be the great departure of the church. In about as much time as a twinkle of an eye, the rapture will take place. We as Christians will be taken up to meet the Lord in the air, and the Bible says that we for thus will we ever be with the Lord. And immediately we will, we will be given new, immortal, imperishable, incorruptible bodies fit for heaven. Romans chapter 8 verse 23 calls it the redemption of our body. Our souls were already saved when we received Christ as our Lord and Savior. Our name was written in the book of life. Our place was reserved in heaven. Now it's just a matter of time of receiving that new body. And we talked about this last week. I can't wait for that body with my full head of hair and muscles at the hair and, and healthy, no problem. Paul put it this way in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 21. The Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious body. John puts it this way in 1 John 3, verse 2, when he says, uh, Jesus comes to get us, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And we looked at this last week. Mothers and fathers will be reunited with sons and daughters. Husbands will be reunited with wives and wives with husbands. Children reunited with parents. Brothers and sisters reunited with siblings. Friends reunited with friends. Your sorrow suddenly vanishes and it's replaced by ecstatic joy. But best of all, we'll be in the presence of Jesus himself. Where we will spend the next seven years enjoying, 
celebrating like no other the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It'll be incredible. Yet meanwhile, back on earth, and we're going to look at more into this next week, that the wrath of God will be poured out on this Christ-rejecting world. And then at the end of those seven years, we will return with Jesus to set up his millennial reign on earth for, for 1,000 years. Now, the reason I chose this text this morning is because the church in Thessalonica, they had some confusion all over all of this. They couldn't put all the pieces together about the last days, the rapture of the church, the second coming of Jesus. So Paul decided to write a letter to them to clear it all up. They were shaken up because at first, if you recall, they thought that their loved ones that had died had missed the rapture and, and they were lost forever. So Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and, and through 18, The Lord himself listen, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo, uh, rapturos, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, he said, comfort one another with these words. But then they were still confused. So Paul says, i got to write them another letter. They're not getting it. So Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, look at it now. Paul writes, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Paul, in other words, is saying, listen, don't be all shaken up or troubled if someone tells you that the second coming of Jesus had already happened. It hasn't. You know, there are those today, preachers today, who will tell you it's already taken place. They would tell you that, that all that was prophesied in the book of Revelation took place in 70 A.D. when Jerusalem fell to the Romans. They would tell you that Nero was the Antichrist. Christians were beheaded, put to death. The world as they knew it was shaken. Jesus then returned spiritually. That view is, is called a preterist view. Now, there's quite a few problems with that. But for the sake of time, let me just give you a couple. First, the, the destruction of the world as described by John in the book of Revelation has not happened yet because there's way too many specific details that Jesus lays out that you, that you just cannot attribute to just being spiritual or allegorical. The events in Revelation are not spiritual but literal. And they will happen just as Jesus said they would happen and, and what I believe is going to be in the very near future. But secondly... The book of Revelation was written in 90 A.D., 20 years after the destruction of Jerusalem. Therefore, making the events found in Revelation chapter 6 to 19 still future events that must take place after Jesus takes his church home to be with him. So Paul says, listen, do not be shaken in mind. Don't be troubled. Another word for shaken in mind is the word confused. Listen, Satan wants you to remain in that state of confusion when it, when it comes to, to anything according to God's Word, but especially last day's events. That's why it's so important to take everything we learn about Jesus' return for the church and ultimately His second coming from God's Word. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of all the saints. Paul says, don't be confused by spirit or by word or by letter. I might add, or by podcast preachers, if they had them back then. Don't be confused by books, movies that may come out uh, about the end times. 
He says, not only do, do I not want you to be confused, but, but look at the next verse. He says, in verse 3, Paul says, let no one deceive you by any means. So Satan's desire is to confuse you, and his second desire is to deceive you, and he's going to try to do that by any means possible, especially then when it comes to last day's events that, that will take place. I mean, I've got to tell you, there are a lot of churches today that will not even touch the topic of end times. They don't even talk about last days. They'll avoid teaching through the book of Revelation at all costs. Why? Because to them, it's confusing. There's deception. Listen, the Holy Spirit's strategy in these last days is not to bring confusion or deception, but comfort and understanding. Because that is what knowing about this great departure does for us. It brings comfort to us. Paul said this uh, about the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4, 6, 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The great departure, knowing that it could happen at any moment, should bring us great comfort. But even so, think about this. What a privilege it is for us to be living during these last days. To be alive right before Jesus returned for us. I mean, think about all the generations that have gone before us and have looked for and longed for the Lord's return, yet God allows you and I to live during these times. I mean, as much as you think when you get to heaven that you're going to be all excited and and you're going to run up to people that you've missed and you're going to want to talk to maybe Peter and Paul and and Mary, not the old singing group, but apostles and Mary. Maybe you're going to want to talk to Jonah. You know, he'd be fascinating to talk to. What was it like being in the belly of this great fish? You know, maybe you want to talk to Ezekiel. Remember him? Did you really lay on your side for 390 days and then on your left side for 40 days? Man, that's a whole new meeting to, to being sidetracked. I mean, that, that's crazy. Or maybe you want to talk to Noah. What was the ark like? Stinky, I bet. Listen, people are going to be running up to you and wanting to talk to you. And say things like, wow, what was it like living in the last days? What was it like being a last days Christian? What did you do? How were you living? How did your light shine into the world? Ah, you know, went to work, came home, went back to work. No. Listen, the the Lord and the Apostle Paul said, doesn't want us to miss out on what an honor and what a privilege it is for us as believers to live during this time. Now understand, just as there's going to be a great departure of the church to heaven, and that should comfort us, there's also going to be a, a different great departure on earth, and that should disturb us. That should wake us up. See, here in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, we see that there will be a great departure from the faith. Look at verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Yeah, there's going to be a great departure, the rapture of the church, but there's going to be a great departure from all that is right, from all that is godly. Are we not seeing that today? This falling away is also known as a great apostasy. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. People will depart from the true Christian faith. They'll fall away. Notice that they're not going to, the people will leave the church. No, they're going to leave the faith. But not only that, they will follow after deceiving spiritual things and demonic doctrines. That's, folks, that's all, all, already happening. Already happening. You know, the phrase falling away means a deserting or turning from a position formerly held. 
Spiritual apostasy occurs when a person who once claimed to be a believer departs from what he formerly professed to believe. Maybe you heard of this about four years ago. Uh, author, former pastor Joshua Harris, uh, decided to leave Christianity. He, wrote, he was the one who wrote the book, I Kissed, Dating, Goodbye, and, and many other popular books, and gave biblical advice about love and relationships, and it encouraged thousands of young people to make better choices. Listen to his words from this Instagram quote. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I am not there now. And then he adds this. To the LGBTQ plus community, I want to say that I am sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality. We are seeing this at epic proportions, folks. Former lead singer of the Christian band, Hawk Nelson, left the faith. Not just pastors and Christian musicians, but whole, whole churches are now paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Just as Paul said, what happened in the last days? See, what God's word clearly defines as sin, churches are now embracing, they're endorsing, they're affirming. Listen, my heart and my prayer is that for these people who are caught up in the LGBTQ plus lifestyle, is for them to turn to Jesus Christ and find forgiveness and find grace and find fulfillment and hope in Jesus Christ. That's first and foremost. But secondly, you need to know that no matter how many mainline denominations depart from the truth of God's word, we are committed here at Calvary Chapel until the Lord takes us home to hold fast to the clear teaching of the word of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, that we will never depart from the teaching and holding fast to God's word until our great departure in the air to be with the Lord. And even then, my hope is that we would have enough online Bible studies left to show people who are left the way to salvation. So folks, understand God's word says that in the last days there will be a great departure. We as believers will be caught up in the air to ever be with the Lord. Those left behind, we're seeing already, are falling away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons. Let me say one more thing about the doctrines of demons, and that is if the transgender movement is not a doctrine of demons, then I don't know what is. Exactly the opposite of faith in Jesus Christ, exactly the opposite of God's plan, is what they say, and, and, and it, it's a sad thing in our society today. Listen, the only way we can know, and the only way we can identify the doctrines of demons is by immersing ourselves in the truth. We must study our Bibles. When we know what God says on any given subject, then any deviation from that teaching will send up a red flag right away. Oh, wait, wait, that's not right. Wait, that's not right. You'll know that. Why? Because you know the Word of God. Now, this brings us to our second point. Immediately after the rapture of the church takes place, what happens next is point number two, the revealing of the great imposter. He's called, in verse 3, a man of sin, the son of perdition. Paul writes in verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And what will he do once he's gone? Look at verse 4. He will oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. See, the second thing that Paul says will happen after the rapture of the church, but before the day of the Lord, before the great tribulation, before uh, 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 the uh, uh, second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, this Antichrist, this person is going to come on the scene. 
This Antichrist is a person who is a, against Christ. That prefix anti means instead of uh, and, and, and against. Both meanings to, to, uh, uh, to uh, apply to this coming world leader. He will overtly oppose Christ at the same time pass himself off as Christ. And, and uh, the Antichrist will aggressively live up to his terrible name. He's going to persecute. He's going to torture. He's going to kill the people of God as he leads the armies of the world into that battle of Armageddon. He will be the most powerful dictator the world has ever seen. Now, we don't have time this morning to examine everything that the Bible says about this man, but I do want to look at what Paul describes here in, in 2 Thessalonians. Again, first, after the rapture, he says, the man of sin is revealed. And again, this Antichrist will be history's most vile embodiment of sin and rebellion. Paul calls him the son of perdition. The word perdition means destruction or waste. The phrase son of perdition, it's used twice in the Bible. Here in in 2 Thessalonians, and then the second time, uh, Jesus uses the, the phrase when he's praying in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 12, and it says this, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Who's the son of perdition? Judas Iscariot. Same evil spirit that filled Judas Iscariot, making him the son of perdition, will also make this Antichrist the son of perdition. And again, verse 4, he will oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God, all that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I mean, the word of God and Bible prophecy is very clear about this man. He's going to emerge as, 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 and be energized by this, the devil. He's going to unite the nations of Europe and, and the great federation, which is the ten horns of Daniel uh, uh, chapter 7. Then, then Daniel chapter 9. He's going to bring about the seven-year peace treaty with the nation of Israel. That will include the rebuilding of a third temple there in uh, Jerusalem. And according to Revelation 17, the Antichrist will cooperate with the apostate world church to rise to power. In the beginning, he's going to be a friend to the Jewish people. That is, until, as we read here, he exalts himself and opposes God by moving into that newly rebuilt temple. It's there where he will declare himself to be God, demand that the whole world should worship him in this this satanic act of self-deification. This will ultimately lead to the battle of Armageddon and the Antichrist's ultimate defeat when Jesus returns and destroys him with the brightness of his coming, as we'll see in a moment. Let me tell you, folks, there's a lot going on that tells us that these events are about to happen. You may say, no way. Come on, Pastor Tom. First of all, there's no way that the Muslims are going to let the Jews rebuild their temple. And even if they would, it would take way too long to prepare everything that's needed to go in it. So we are years away from that happening. I mean, it's, it's a long way away from the Antichrist going in this new temple and being demanded to be worshipped. Or maybe you haven't heard, but there's an organization called the Temple Mount Institute. And the Temple Institute is an organization that has done all the research and have made all the preparations for the building of this third temple. You can go online. You can check it out, templeinstitute.org. You'll find, and they have pictures there, of many of the, the preparations for this temple already been done. The sacred worship vessels, the priestly garments to be worn by, by the Levites the, the temples, in the temple services as well as, get this, over 500 young Jewish men who have been found to be descendants from the tribe of Levi. They've been trained as temple priests to fulfill their duties of worship and sacrifice in the temple. 
Amazing. Dr. David Goldstein, human geneticist, geneticist, said to find over 500 young Jewish men that share over 90% of the same genetic markers after such a long period of time is a testament to the devotion of the wives of the descendants of Levi over the years. Even a low rate of infidelity would have dramatically lowered the percentage. Amazing that they have these young men ready to go. I might add one more thing. God's Word states that only the red heifer is needed to help accomplish the purification ceremony to begin the, the, the sacrifices in the temple once again. In the book of Numbers, chapter 19, verse 1 and 2 and verse 10, the Lord has instructed to bring a red heifer without defect or blemish that has never been under a yoke and that this would be a lasting ordinance both for the Israelites and for the aliens living among them. The problem was no one could find a red heifer without spot or blemish, without defect, until recently... When farmer from Texas, knowing the need for a red heifer, has raised one without blemish and without defect, and is now at the age required for temple sacrifices. Here's a picture of Big Red. Don't tell him what's in store for him. <laughs> and then get this: just two weeks ago, near the site where the tabernacle was kept during the time of the judges. A group of Jews descended from the tribe of Levi and the priestly families enacted a practice run of this purification ceremony. And I might add one more thing. They also claim they know exactly where the Ark of the Covenant is that will go in the newly rebuilt temple. So there doesn't have to be a Raiders of the Lost Ark part two. You say, but that still doesn't answer how the Jews can rebuild their temple. You say, I watch the news. How can a temple, a Jewish temple, be built where the mosque of Omar is, the Dome of the Rock is, the third most holy site of Islam, sitting on that very spot. Uh, we're, yeah, you can't do it. Yeah, I mean, to bulldoze it down would start a holy war of unbelievable proportions as 850 million Muslims would rise up and crush the 7 million Jews in Israel. Listen to this. There was a study done many years ago by a Dr. Asher Kaufman, who is a, one of a number of Jewish archaeologists who contend the Dome of the Rock Mosque does not actually sit on the site of the Holy of Holies in the temple as previously believed. They say the actual Holy of Holies lies beneath, this little, beneath a little gazebo-like structure called the Dome of the Tablets and the Dome of the Spirits. Now, why would it be called the Dome of the Tablets? Because there were tablets there. <laughs> what tablets? <laughs> the Ten Commandments that were in the Ark of the Covenant, which sat in the Holy of Holies. Why would this spot be called the Dome of the Spirits? Because the Spirit of God, the Shekinah glory, filled the Holy of Holies. What stands in that area on the Temple Mount in front of the Dome of the Spirits, the Dome of the Tablets? Nothing. There's nothing there. Now listen, this is speculation, I admit. But the, the Antichrist could easily come on the scene and say, Hey, uh, you know, listen, I've got the solution to the whole Temple thing. Jews, you build your temple on the true side of the temple and we'll put a wall in between them, uh, separate from the Muslim Dome of the Rock. Finally, peace between the two peoples. And then in three and a half years, it, it, it could be built. It could happen. Everything's ready to go. It's just at the right time for the Antichrist to walk into this newly rebuilt temple, demand to be worshipped, showing himself that he is God, and, and then this horrific second half of the seven-year tribulation will begin. And again, I admit this is some speculation, but understand, in some way, shape, or form, it is going to happen because it says so in God's Word. 
And Paul says, listen, church, I've told you this before. He says in verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you? I told you these things. They probably remembered, but in the process they became deceived and they needed to be reminded of the truth again. God's word is truth and we need to be constantly reminded in order to put life into its proper perspective. perspective. And even if we do remember, we always need a refresher course and especially when it comes to biblical prophecy. Drop down to verse 9 through 12 for a moment and we'll see more what this Antichrist will do. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the workings of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of truth that they might be saved. So here we have the Antichrist. He'll be possessed by Satan. He will have satanic power to perform signs and wonders. Now there'll be lying wonders, the goal to deceive in order to keep the people unrighteous, Paul says. Now, even now as we approach the final days, there is this increase in this signs and wonders. Even within the body of Christ, there's this propensity to chase after. Oh, there's this, do you see the sign? over? you see one over here? And they're, they're intrigued by signs and wonders. But understand, signs and wonders do not produce faith. They only produce a craving for more signs and wonders. Jesus said in, John, in Mark 16, 17, signs and wonders shall follow those who believe, not the other way around. But because of the hardness of people's hearts and because of the desire that people have in wanting to follow after the Antichrist and the signs and wonders and because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, verse 10, for this reason, these people we read in verse 11 and 12, look at verse 11, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now you may read that and go, wow, almost sounds like that God has condemned these people or predestined them for, for hell. No, he hasn't. He, he acts to save them. You see, in the great tribulation, there will be ample opportunities to receive Jesus Christ. Every creature on earth during that time will, will, will hear the gospel because God is not willing that any should perish but all should come to repentance. But these, we read, did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. See, what this is saying is that there will be those that will willfully, they will deliberately reject Jesus Christ. And so what God will do is because they've made that decision, He will give them what they want. And they will face the consequences of their willful rejection of the truth. And if they won't receive the truth and be saved, then they will believe the lie and be condemned. Verse 11 says, God will send them a strong delusion which refers to that inward working of delusion upon their hearts. See, God doesn't lie. He tells them the truth by confronting them with the gospel. But having refused the gospel message, there's that inward working of sin that leads them further and further away from the truth. It happens today. You share with someone and they reject it, rejecting their hearts gets harder and harder and harder. Here we see that God will eventually give them over to their personal choice. They will believe the lie. What's the lie? If you notice it says there, the lie is that this man of lawlessness, this Antichrist, is God. That's the lie. These people during the Great Tribulation are going to believe the lie. You see, you, you'll not be able to take a neutral stand during that time. You'll either believe God or you're going to believe the lie. But this day that we're reading about, it can't happen just yet. So we must first have the great departure. Number two, we must have the great imposter uh, who will lie and deceive many. And then thirdly, this brings us back to verse 6 and point number three, the great restrainer. We may go over a little bit this morning. I hope you guys don't mind, but, but this is important. You know, there's a great restrainer that's keeping all of what we just talked about at bay right now. 
for one of these days, very soon I believe the dam is going to burst, and when that happens, there's going to be a flood of evil on this world like we've never seen before. Who is the great restrainer? Look at verse 6 through 8. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, notice it's a capital H there, should give you a clue. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. I can't wait for that. When Satan, the Antichrist, the beast are all destroyed in the brightness of the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But until that happens, there is a restraining factor that is taking place right now in this world, which literally is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's holding back the evil from completely taking over this planet. The same Holy Spirit that is alive and well, that's not hovering over the earth in the clouds hanging out, but the same Holy Spirit who works and dwells in the hearts and lives of every true believer in Jesus Christ. Listen, that makes you and I, in a sense, the great restrainer, the agent, if you will, in which the Holy Spirit accomplishes His work in restraining evil. The Holy Spirit working in your life is the great restrainer, and He will continue to push back evil until the restrainer is taken out of the way. When is the restrainer taken out of the way? When the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to ever to be with the Lord in the air. When we're raptured. Can you imagine what this place is going to be like after the rapture? It's going to be very ugly. It's going to turn very evil very quickly. And listen, folks, we are close. There's never been another time in history when end times prophecy has been more aligned with the culture and circumstances of the world than it is today. Before we close, let me give you just a few more examples of the goals of the Antichrist that really need to be put in place before he is revealed. See, if he's going to accomplish as much as he's going to accomplish in just three and a half years, uh, how eventually no one can buy or sell without bearing his mark and allegiance to, uh, you know, to him uh, on their body, something has to happen. Prepare it up for it. Folks, the technology is already here. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called the World Coin, created by Sam Altman, the same man who created ChatGPT. That's a highly intelligent uh, artificial intelligence program that has taken AI to an all-new level and has concerned a great many smart people <laughs> of the dangers of it, including Elon Musk. The same guy, Sam Altman, created his latest company called WorldCoin and has come up with what's called a World ID. I'm not making this up. You can see it for yourself at worldcoin.org. The company has developed what is called the Orb, an open iris imaging device that scans the iris of your eye and then attaches that scan to a world digital ID number that is unique to your scan. Here's a picture of it right there. All new members need to do is to let the WorldCoin employees scan their irises using this device as orbs. In exchange, you will receive a world ID and 25 crypto tokens. Get this. Over 2,200,000 people have signed up already for it so far for it. People are waiting in line to sign up for this. So as it takes off, you can essentially look into an orb to purchase your groceries at the grocery store. That's not all. Perhaps you've heard that Amazon has come up with a one-palm payment technology. 
It's uh, coming to all 500-plus Whole Food market stores in the U.S. It's already in Amazon bookstores. It's called the Amazon One Palm. And it's a scanner that reads unique lines in the palms of your hands and then is attached to your credit card and automatically deducts the money from your account. Take a look at this picture. There it is. Beep. That's it. Takes out your credit card. That's interesting to me. And again, it's just speculation. But with the AI technology, the palm scanning, the eye iris scanning, the hand on the forehead, could this be what the Antichrist will use to fulfill Revelation 13, 15, and 16? Speaking of the Antichrist, he was granted power to give breath to the image and beast. The image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. There's some AI right there. He causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and saved to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. It's, it's possible now. And no one can buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Amazing. All that to say what happens next after the rapture is for this type of technology to be in place in order to fulfill the prophecies that will happen during the Great Tribulation. And they are. They're, they're in place. Let's go with just one more that must be in place that will happen after the rapture of the church. And that is a, a new one world religion. I want to show you what is called the Abrahamic, Abrahamic family house. We may have talked about this before, but here's a picture of it. It's open. It's officially open February 16, 2023, six months ago. The website says the Abrahamic family house welcomes visitors and worshipers to its mosque, church, and synagogue in Abu uh, Dhab. It was built in collaboration with Pope Francis, Sunni Muslim leader Sheikh Ahmed Al-Tayeb, after they both signed a global peace covenant called the Document of Human Fraternity for World Peace. Crazy. The stated purpose of the Abrahamic family house is to bring understanding and tolerance among all the faiths. That can't happen while there's still Christians here. You see, uh, Abu uh, Dubai is a part of the United Arab Emirates where it's illegal for Christians to proselytize and conversion from Islam is prohibited. Now, Christians, they're free to, to, to convert to Islam. Citizens of Abu Dubai are not free to choose Christ. All that to say, again, there's never been another time in history when end times prophecy has been more aligned with the culture and circumstances of the world than it is today. Listen, we are still here for a purpose, to share the love of Christ to lost worlds. And it's God's Holy Spirit working in our life, the great restrainer. So if we, as Jesus said, are to be the light of the world, then we must continue to seek by the power of the Holy Spirit to restrain that evil that's in the world. That means we get involved in politics because there's a lot of evil in politics. <laughs> that means we speak out against the killing of the unborn. That we speak out against the, the, the transgender movement, the woke movement, those evil things that are prevalent in our culture today. But we just don't point out and speak out against all the evil that's in, our, in, the, in the world. Our goal, our first step must be in sharing the gospel and letting people know that there is a God that loves them and, and that their names, their lives matter to God and if they would just turn from their sin and cry out to God, God will save them. So we need to ask the Lord to strengthen our faith to be that witness so we can be in that place where the restrainer can work in our lives and we can be used by the Lord to be that faithful witness until point number four comes to pass. And we close with this. Look at verse 13 and 14. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. 
to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. God chose you. God called you. And he's just saying, hey, I want you to, 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 to be what I've called you to be. Be my kid. Live for me. Don't forget that I'm coming back. Let's wrap it up. Verse 15 through 17. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistles. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, word and work. Remember what the last point is? We had the great departure, the great imposter, the great restrainer. The last point is the great conqueror. We have a great conqueror. And he's coming again very soon. People ask me, well, do you think the Antichrist is alive? Is he out there? Who do you think he is? And I have my guesses. I have my suspicions. And I do believe he's alive today, but I really don't care. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ because that's who we've got to be living for. And know today that we have a great conqueror. And if we have a great conqueror and if his Holy Spirit is alive and well in us, that he's called us to be more than conquerors as well. In fact, the Bible says just that in Romans 8, 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen, he's not, God's not going to leave you here as an orphan when he comes back for his church. And the very fact that we see everything in this world pointing to the signs of a certain return, soon return means the one thing and one thing only. We need to be living for Him, looking for Him, longing for Him, sharing Him like we've never have in, in our lives. I remember hearing Pastor Chuck Smith tell the story of how he was seeing all the decorations up at the mall for Christmas in early November. And he said to his wife, Kay, honey, it's almost Thanksgiving. And she said, these decorations, they're not up for Thanksgiving, they're up for Christmas. Chuck said, yeah, I know, but if Christmas is close, Thanksgiving is even closer. I thought that's a good analogy. When we see all these things, signs of the times around us, that simply means the return of Jesus Christ for the church is even closer. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's such a great hope. It's a blessed hope. We're told to comfort one another with these words. Finally, I want to close with this our verse to describe this series on prophecy and end times and what happens next. Second Peter 1.19 So we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as the light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We do well to heed the word of God confirmed in our hearts, shine as lights in this dark world until the Lord calls us home. And folks, Jesus is coming back. And if you're here, or you're watching online, and you don't know Jesus Christ, the urgent call is for, to accept Christ as your Savior. It's more relevant today than it ever, ever has been. You must accept Christ as your Savior. You must accept Him now. Don't put it off any longer. And understand that the forgiveness that He offers for your sins and eternal life are a free gift from God according to Romans 6.23. When Jesus died on that cross, He paid our debt sin. He purchased a full pardon for us all you have to do is receive it for yourself. Take it. Believe it. Believe Jesus. You're, you believe in Jesus. You're receiving and accepting what he accomplished for you by dying in your place and rising from the dead on the third day. See, he alone can give you eternal life. He alone gives you forgiveness of sin when you call upon his name in faith. The promise is there in Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls upon the Lord shall be saved. Call upon him now in faith. 
and you'll be saved from the penalty of sin. You'll be saved from what's about to hit planet Earth. If that's your desire, I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you don't leave us wandering around confused, but you've laid out certain events that will happen, Lord, that, that we know will happen. Not exactly sure how it's going to be laid out, but we know it'll happen. And Lord, that gives us hope. That gives us excitement knowing that you're coming back for us very, very soon. For the church, for those that have put their faith and trust in you. And help us, Lord, as your church to be that light in this dark world. Lord, to not just point out the evil, but point to you. Point to salvation. Help them to see that there's joy in knowing you. There's forgiveness of sin. Lord, set us up with divine appointments that we can speak truth to these people that are lost. And Lord, that they would come to know you in these last days. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here that you don't know Christ, but you, you want to be ready for the return of the Lord? You want to know for certain if you would die, you would go to heaven? I encourage you to give your life to Jesus Christ. Just raise your hand. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and Christians are praying, anyone here you want to receive Christ, raise your hand so I can pray for you. Anybody at all? There's a hand. Joey's pointing to a hand, so God bless you. I can't see you, but God bless you. I believe it. There it is. I see you in the back. God bless you. Anybody else? Now's the time not to be waffling back and forth. Should I? Should I not? I don't know. Will I have to give up anything? Listen, what you have to give up doesn't even compare to what God will do in your life and give to you. Paul talked about the thing you gave up as, as garbage, as trash. Anybody else? Just raise your hand so I can pray for you. For the one that raised their hand, and if there are more that I can't see, <laughs> there's two or three, just repeat this prayer after me. It's just a prayer of putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, committing your life to Him. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but you died for me on the cross. You paid the price for my sin. So I turn from that sin today. I put my faith in you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my friend. Lord, make me ready for your return. I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord for the one or more that gave their life to the Lord. I encourage you to come up and talk to me after service. So we have a table in the back on the way out with the materials we want to give you to help encourage you in your walk with the Lord. With that, let's all stand and we'll do one last song together.
Again, if you have any prayer needs either, please come on front. Let the pastors pray with you and elders pray for you. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you back again uh, next Wednesday or our Saturday men's prayer breakfast. God bless.